When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary. Because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound Off. The United States can never default on its legal obligations. To do so would have catastrophic economic consequences. We've been way too over reliant on foreign markets. People want to create these U.S. jobs. Bloomberg Sound Off. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. The Fed, under Powell's leadership, has basically shown the banks the test in advance. Mobilizing the business community is a really good thing to do, yeah. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So is this it? Is this the deal everyone's been waiting for, talking about for months? President Biden and Speaker Nancy Pelosi say yes. Even some progressive Democrats say they're on board, but not all of them. And we still do not know if the House is going to vote on infrastructure tonight as the president is urging. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics on Bloomberg Radio. You will want to buckle up for this one as headlines are still flying at this hour. We're going to get the latest from Capitol Hill from Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick. We'll seek perspective from Terry Haynes at Pangea Policy. Classic panel today. We have Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis for the hour. And later we're going to focus on the Virginia governor's race with the mayor of Richmond, LeVar Stoney. As we now dive into the latest here inside the bubble, this is the Washington corner of the metaverse. President Biden now on his way to Rome for the G20 and later the U.N. Climate Summit after visiting Capitol Hill this morning and then addressing Americans on what is a $1.75 trillion framework agreement. No one got everything they wanted, including me. But that's what compromise is. That's consensus. And that's what I ran on. I've long said compromise and consensus are the only way to get big things done in a democracy, important things done for the country. Compromise. And by that we mean yes to universal pre-K, yes to extending the child tax credit through next year, yes to more than half a trillion dollars in climate provisions, but no to expanding Medicare to include dental and vision, no prescription drug pricing plan, and no paid leave. And while some progressive Democrats are not happy about that, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, the chair of the Progressive Caucus, is not talking like one of them. We are really proud of the president and of our progressive caucus and our progressive allies for getting so many of our big priorities into the framework that was laid out to us today. Okay, sentiments also echoed by a member of the squad, Congresswoman Ilan Omar. 
as a caucus, the Progressive Caucus is happy with this framework, and we are willing to, to you know, see it through. She went on to say that President Biden has got the buy-in from the House caucus. But does that mean they will vote on infrastructure tonight, as the president is urging? Maybe not. Let's get to Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick for the latest on Capitol Hill. He's been in the middle of this all day. Jack, thanks for being here. What are you hearing? Yeah, so really the progressive position has not changed despite some disappointments. And we'll probably hear about disappointments more from progressives about the likelihood of immigration measures having to get pulled out of this. Uh, about any back and forth with the Senate and the yeah. bird rule and all of that. The progressives are standing their ground and saying, this is good enough for the reconciliation bill. We like it. We are not going to support uh, the infrastructure bill. That's not unanimous among progressives, but it's definitely enough to block the infrastructure bill unless a bunch of Republicans uh, got on board with that in the House. So they're still holding it up as as we speak Uh, And they're doing it in favor of the reconciliation bill, despite some disappointment. That's the the main thing. So they're still kind of struggling uh, to get leaders to put both of these two bills on the same track to try Mm -hmm. to pass them in the House at roughly the same time. So was Congresswoman Jayapal trying to lead her caucus into saying yes, or are they not all on the same page in that corner of the Democratic membership? They seem to be pretty solid. There was some grumbling coming out about, uh, again, the uncertainty on immigration measures. And progressives yeah. have had to watch their you know $6 trillion number going down to $3.5 trillion. And they've made some compromises. But, you know, uh, Congresswoman Jayapal said it's possible that ultimately this will get unanimous support from the Progressive Caucus. So it seems like they are behind her. Uh, including members of the squad, uh, Congresswoman Omar, Congresswoman uh, Cory Bush uh, echoed exactly what uh, Jayapal had to say about this. Uh, the issue is, can they get assurances that the Senate will end up passing this reconciliation bill? Can they move that forward? And do they hold firm uh, and continue to oppose the infrastructure bill hmm. as they try to link that to this reconciliation bill? Well, sounds like no vote tonight, Jack. That's the way it's looking unless something really breaks. All right. You've got the latest from the man, Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick. We thank you, Jack, for joining us on a busy day. I was wondering if it was going to be a late night. On the tax component, by the way, no billionaire's tax. No tax on unrealized gains. But there is the 15% minimum corporate tax in this framework and a 1% tax on stock buybacks, also a surtax on millionaires, those making over $10 million a year. For analysis on everything that has happened so far today, we turn to Terry Haynes, founder of Pangea Policy, whose note to clients this morning was headlined, Washington's show about nothing. You know where I'm going. As Terry shares or reminds us, pointing us back to his Sunday predictions, the new Biden framework, he writes, ends up the same as the old framework. The new boss, same as the old boss. I added that. Where now, he writes, in at least the third iteration, Democrats don't have anything and are not close to getting anything on the human infrastructure idea, which we can't call legislation, he says, because it's not close enough to have specific language. That is one thing I have been reminding everybody of all day. You've got a framework here. You do not have a bill. 
Let's see how he's feeling now. Terry Haynes, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. It's great to have you on this day of all days. Is this still a show about nothing? <laughs> uh, thank you for uh, thank you for the music. Uh, uh, My uh, great pleasure. Much. The the uh, yeah, I think it is. Uh, you know what the, the twists and turns that were just described uh, very accurately around this uh, is the sound of a house party uh, twist uh, the the House Democratic Party anyway twisting themselves into irrelevance because uh, you know this is not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, it's certainly not going to happen tonight. It's uh, they're going to take some time to, to vet. They're going to want uh, Democratic assurances that the thing can get passed in the Senate, which, of course, it won't. Um, you know, you have, you know, the, the, the famous senators, uh, Manchin and Cinema, who will go over this with a fine-tooth comb. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for every Manchin and Cinema, there's at least a few others that are, uh, that are more quietly behind the scenes. And then you've got a lot of bipartisan uh, uh, concern uh, particularly from Democrats among centrists, people like Mark Warner of Virginia and the like, saying, "Look, you know, we we, you know, we do tax policy quick. Uh, it doesn't turn out well at all. Uh, they're going to want to put the brakes on this for a little while and try to uh, trying to fine tune the thing. So net net, uh, how I think this uh, how I think this works is, you know, for the basically the third straight month, uh, House Democrats twisting themselves into a pretzel." Uh, and making it that much more likely that the people who drive uh, who drive a train towards a final 1.5 to 2 trillion number are people like Manchin and Cinema instead of them. Uh, so, so they're going to end up having to swallow whatever the Senate does, and what the Senate will yes. do is probably not this. Well, so when, if ever, will there be a House vote on infrastructure, Terry? <laughs> uh, which one? I call the, 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 I call the one real infrastructure and the other yes, one. Yes, the, the hard the, infrastructure, the infrastructure bill. Yeah. I don't, I, I think what what progressives have learned, and, you know, in my two cents is that politically, uh, you know, they've, they've needed to learn the hard truth that they can't actually dictate policy, even among the Democratic Party in the, in the House or the Senate. Um, you know, I, I think they, they understand that the uh, the real infrastructure bill, or the BIF as some people call it, is uh, pretty much the only leverage they have remaining. And they, there don't need to be many of them in order to uh, hold the thing up. So, you know, my money t- tonight would be to hold uh, would be that they hold it up for a while. And, uh, you know, they'll go back through, back through these complicated negotiations between the House and the Senate, but that are not likely to lead to anything. And near as I can tell, the Senate's ignoring it. So, so Terry Haynes, uh, you know, they're talking to themselves. Joe Biden left to go to the U.N. climate summit. He's going to stop through Rome for the G20 on the way. All the stories were we, we, he's got to have something to bring with him to show. What does he have to show next week? Um, I don't think much of anything. I think it was, you know, the, tactically, it was a mistake for the White House to make this all about the climate summit when it was clear that. Well, one of the things that was going to happen is you were going to get less and less and less on climate. Yes. Uh, the White House itself had already pivoted to saying that the main thrust of what they wanted to do on climate was going to be regulatory and not dependent on this bill anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's one thing to, you know, there's there's sizzle and there's steak, of course. And, you know, and you know, part of politics is sizzle, as you know. But you got to have sizzle for a purpose and sizzle for a, right. you know, to lead your way to a result. Uh, for the White House, politically, this is neither. You wrote on Sunday and then again reminding us this morning, this is market positive since it means no new taxes. With what you know now about this tax component, the minimum tax, the buybacks, the surtax on millionaires, do you still feel the same way? 
Yeah, I do because uh, you know we're still in the early innings on all this stuff. Uh, this uh, the stuff gets talked about uh, loosely in Washington and elsewhere mm-hmm. as if it's somehow close to being a, a done deal. When in fact it's only just started. I mean, there's a, and again, as you just pointed out a minute ago, there's no flesh on these bones at all. And the more flesh there are on these bones, the firstly, the longer it will take, and secondly, it will be harder to convince people. In a 50-50 Senate, you know, every senator is a potential uh, uh, problem, mm-hmm. and you end up having to play whack-a-mole. Uh, in the House with the mm-hmm. tiny majority, same kind, of, same sort of thing. Uh, I, I always remind people what happened 10 years ago, 11 years ago, with uh, what became. Uh, what became known as the Affordable Care Act, which yes. took something like six months from the time the House passed the bill to a time when it actually became the law. So, That's right. uh, you know, we're, this, is, this is early innings. It's going to take a long time. Terry Haynes, really glad you could be with us today and bringing your experience to this entire story, the founder of Pangea Policy. Coming up, we assemble the panel and get their take. Rick and Jeannie, this is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. On the terminal, Biden warns Democrats his presidency hinges on agenda deal. And that was the line apparently from behind closed doors this morning. President Biden, House Democrats all in one room as he headed up to Capitol Hill before the big trip to Europe said his presidency, and by the way, their Democratic majorities in the House and Senate are riding on this, depending on passage of the economic agenda. Still unclear, though, whether the warning will unite the party's factions, and that remains the case at this hour. A significant set of investments that will be transformational. You heard earlier this hour from Pramila Jayapal, the head of the Progressive Caucus. She said, we intend to vote for both bills when the text is ready. Madam Speaker. For those who said, I want to see text, the text is there. For you to review, for you to complain about, for you to add to, for subtract from, whatever it is, and we'll see what consensus uh, emerges from that. But we're really very much on a path. Okay, but what about the infrastructure bill, the bipartisan infrastructure bill? President Biden urging them to vote on it tonight. So are you holding an infrastructure vote today? Are you holding an infrastructure vote? Are you holding <laughs> This is right as Speaker Pelosi's leaving the podium. No, if you're not going to say yes. Madam. Is that enough? Nothing on that. So let's bring in the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us. Good thing you guys are both here. All right, Jeannie, the Democrat on the panel. You excited about the framework? Is this what you've been waiting for? <laughs> All I have to say is Sanders said he's not even sure it's a framework. It's more oh, like geez. an outline. And the clip you just played from Nancy Pelosi, I, I, I'm not sure what she's talking about because the text is not there. I mean, that's the whole point for progressives and yeah. who can blame them. You know, Rashida Tlaib said, hell no. They will not vote on this until they see text because they do not trust Mansion and Cinema to and Manchin and Senate make clear that they may make changes, so why would they? So the president, I think, gambled a huge amount by going up there and making the case that his presidency is on the line and then making this public speech. Mm-hmm. And what they have is 
sure, an outline or a framework, but it is not text. And she can put it up for a vote. Pelosi can, but everybody counting the votes says if she does, she's not going to get it passed. Maybe she does it to make the progressives look like they're responsible for the downfall of his presidency. But uh, she has said before she won't put it up without unless she can pass it. So I, I'm, I'm, you know, at a loss of words here. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. So, Rick, uh, are we in the same place we were this time yesterday? Uh, you know, I think it's made a lot of progress. And I think the, the, the point is that that what President Biden did today, I think it was meaningful, which is he laid it at the doorstep of his caucus in Congress and said, my presidency is yeah. now in your hands. Yes. I'm going to Rome, get some right. pasta, have some meatballs. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, it's like drop the mic moment for him, right? Uh-huh. I mean, he basically said to Congress, Schumer, Pelosi, I'm done. This is the policy. That's no more negotiating. Everybody's in and I'm leaving. And it's up to them to sweep up the the, the remnants. And, and And look, I think they'll get there. I think that we've been exposed to the ugly underside of caucus politics within a Democratic Party, hmm. that the fact that there are still some, not all, but some uh, uh, progressive caucus members who are out there saying they refuse to vote on this until they see uh, text. There is text. I mean, all these policies have been kicked around in Washington, D.C. for 25 years. There, I mean, there's virtually nothing new in all of these. You, you, you want to see policies? You know, go to the Bernie Sanders website that he ran in for president. You got all this stuff in nauseam. So uh, it's, a, it's a hollow argument. I mean, the idea that they're not going to vote on this till they see um, the, the text of a bill that they're not even voting on right now uh, is, is, is absurd. It, it, they are just being petulant, and they really are causing irreparable harm, potentially, to Joe Biden's presidency. So who caves here, Jeannie? And I could have asked you this a month ago. Are progressives going to be the ones to step back and, and allow a vote on infrastructure? Or I don't know who else. Are moderates going to stop their demands? I, I just don't understand what finally breaks here to make something happen. You know, the, the way I can see it happening is potentially if Pelosi and with talking to progressives is able to get them to yes by offering them something. But, you know, from the perspective of the progressives, let's not forget, they feel that they have given and given and given and they are now left with a bill that this is their last bite at the apple. I mean, if they pass the BIF and then Manchin or Cinema or anybody else in the Senate turns around and says no to their human infrastructure bill, mm-hmm. everything that they campaigned on and that their constituency wants is done. And so they want to feel that they can trust. So, you know, I, 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 I don't agree with this idea that, that what they're doing is crazy. The only power you have in Congress is the power to say no. Manchin and Cinema have utilized that now the progressives are utilizing that i'm not saying it's good policy for the democrats or i'm not Mm -hmm. saying it's what they should do but it is an understandable ploy on their part is this just a case rick of us knowing too much that this took so long and there's so many leaks out of these closed door meetings if things were were buttoned up and we were not in the 24 7 news cycle would this be would this feel the same way you know i think that uh this is not significantly dissimilar to how things get done on the Hill. I would say one of the tactical mistakes that the Biden administration made is setting all these stupid deadlines that they actually knew they weren't going to be able to meet. I mean, we've blown through like 10 deadlines in the last yeah. three months. Right. And so they actually draw attention to the failure. In this case, I think it's a case of pigs get fed, hogs <laughs> get slaughtered. We know who the hogs are. 
Rick and Jeannie are with us for the hour. By the grace of God, I'm Joe Matthew, and this is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. We are counting down to Election Day next week. Coming up, we'll bring you to Battleground Richmond, Virginia. Many political minds see it as a bellwether for the midterms. And we'll talk about it with the mayor of Richmond, LeVar Stoney. Latest on the race and what today's framework agreement might mean for the outcome. The Virginia gubernatorial race is said to be too close to call, depending on who you ask. Terry McAuliffe leading Glenn Youngkin by single digits in most recent polls. And many believe this election will be decided in battleground Richmond, as McAuliffe owns the D.C. suburbs in most surveys and Youngkin surges to the south and southwest. And we want to talk about that, the implications, the significance of Richmond and some of the contours of this race. We bring in the mayor of Richmond, Virginia, LeVar Stoney. Mr. Mayor, it's great to have you with us. So thank you for thank you for allowing me to come on today. Are you kidding? Absolutely. We want to know what's going on in Richmond, and you're the man to talk to about that. Uh, it seems uh, cut down the middle here. These guys are tied in in your city. What are you hearing about issues in the final five days of this election? What issues are going to decide this race? Well, you know, these elections are always very tight here in Virginia because these elections occur the year after the presidential elections and. You know, normally the, the, the party that wins the White House, the opposite party, uh, wins the governorship here in the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only been one person in the last 50 years that has actually broken that curse, you can say, and it's, it's been Terry McAuliffe in 2013. Now, this election is coming down to the wire. We always knew it was going to be close. Uh, you stated earlier the northern Virginia uh, suburbs and, and that region normally have gone heavily Democrat for the last uh, 12 years or so. Uh, the Republicans have not won a, a statewide office in this state uh, since 2009. And so we've been really running up big totals in the northern Virginia suburbs, the D.C. suburbs, but also we've been very competitive here in central Virginia as well. Now, in my city, my city will go overwhelmingly with the, with the choice of with Terry McAuliffe, without a doubt. Now, it's the suburbs that will be the battleground. The suburbs the of Richmond. Right. That's right. The suburbs of Richmond, Henrico County, Chesterfield County, Mm -hmm. Governor Northam and President Biden won Chesterfield County to the south of the city. Uh, And I believe that is really where you should watch the numbers on election night and see how those numbers play out. The Democrats can still win statewide without winning the locality, winning the county of Chesterfield. But if uh, if they can keep the margin close, you know, it's going to be not a good night for the Republican Party. Well, now, and Mayor, you are a Democrat, to be clear. I'm sure you have yes, heard uh, that the that the the infrastructure argument in in Washington, that the reconciliation bill, that this sort of steady drip of of no results, frankly, in this debate, is having an impact on the race. They said that if Joe Biden gets something done, this is going to be good for Terry McAuliffe. We got a framework today, as they're calling it. Looks like we're not going to have a vote, but there's text floating around out there. They seem to have an agreement on a lot of these components. Is that enough? 
or have that has this been misread? Is that the Virginia election through the prism of Washington? And frankly, no one's talking about it down there. Give us a reality check. Do people care enough for that to have an impact on the race? You know, I'm a mayor. Obviously, I want this uh, these packages passed. I want the infrastructure dollars here for my city. I was on a call today with the vice president Kamala Harris today earlier, talking about how we need this uh, bill ASAP. But when I think about everyday Virginians, no matter if they're in Northern Virginia, in Central Virginia, or in Hampton Roads, there's a lot more going on beyond what's going on in Congress. Yeah, I bet. People are still suffering because of COVID-19. And so they're looking for a governor who's going to lead them out of this pandemic, lead them out of this economic downturn, allow them to get good jobs that put food on the table and keep a roof over their family's head. And I do believe that my party, led by Governor McCall, offered the best opportunities for that. We're coming off the Trump years. We're in the midst of the Biden years now, uh, and his approval ratings have not been great. In fact, we've seen them slide over the course of this infrastructure and reconciliation debate, this debate about his economic agenda to the point where, as I'm sure you well know, Terry McAuliffe said in a virtual uh, meeting with some supporters that they were kind of backing away. They had to they had to back away from President Biden. But then again, he showed up at a McAuliffe rally. Uh, it was just last weekend. Virginia, show up. Show up like you did for Barack and me. I guess the question, Mayor, is Joe Biden a help or a hindrance to Terry McAuliffe? Well, you know, the the governor, Governor McAuliffe, is not running away from Joe Biden uh, in this election. We still embrace the the Biden agenda because we know this is the path forward after four years of Donald Trump. And, uh, you know, the way that... Uh, Glenn Youngkin, the Republican candidate, is ending this campaign. It's the same way he started the campaign. He is indulging in uh, conspiracy theories around the election, talking about election integrity, and now talking about how he wants to censor schools and, and ban books as well. So he's ending the campaign. Essentially, it's akin to uh, dance with the one that brought you. He doubled down, and he, he appeared to be a Trumpster to his base. That's how he won the nomination. And he's wrapping up this campaign as a governor that would, would, would serve Donald Trump as well. Well, does it bother you then that they're tied in, in your neck of the woods? Well, you know, I, I, we always knew it was going to be tight, Joe. We always knew that from the get-go. <laughs> but i got to say this. I was the deputy campaign manager in the 2013 race for Governor McAuliffe. Before I was ever a public servant, I used to work on political campaigns and was a strategist as well. The DNA of the Commonwealth of Virginia has changed. And we've had over 35 days of early vote as well. Uh, We will probably surpass a million votes cast early by the end of the day on Saturday. I think that bodes well for the Democrats uh, on election night. Mayor Stoney, I only have a minute left. I wonder if you can talk to us, though, about how the removal, the toppling of Confederate statues in Richmond may have impacted the political outcome of this race. You know, I I, I don't believe uh, it will play into it. I mean, when you look at the top... Uh, issues that people care about. Uh, Confederate statues is not on the list. Um, so is that a side effect of the change in politics in Richmond then? You know, I think what it comes down to is it's COVID-19, it's about jobs. It's not about, this This race has not been anything about Confederate monuments. Now, is race a, been a part of this uh, campaign, this election? It sure has. It does bother a lot of black Virginians that you know, someone like Glenn Youngkin is willing to sanitize uh, black history or race, black history in our schools. When you talk about banning books like Beloved by Toni Morrison, 
I think a lot of black Virginians worry about what kind of government Mayor LeVar Stoney, I wish we had more time, Mr. Mayor. Thanks for being here. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So does the framework agreement, including the half trillion dollars in climate initiatives, help President Biden on his trip to Europe to buy him enough time to not have to face tough questions there? And for the purpose of this conversation, will it have any impact on the Virginia governor's race? The Democratic mayor of Richmond just made us think maybe not so much. And so we reassemble the panel now with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shansano and Rick Davis. Rick, you know Virginia politics very well. And I think we can all agree that the state's politics have indeed changed a lot, as Mayor Stoney just mentioned. But why does the business of Washington, especially this framework we're hashing out here, have any impact on this race between Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin? Well, one of the things that you track in any election, and certainly the case in this one in Virginia, is uh, voter intensity. You know, whether or not your base, the Democrats or the Republicans, have a lot of intensity to vote. And you ask people in polls, you know, rate yourself on a one to 10 scale, you know, how confident you are you're going to vote that day. And Republicans have about a five to seven point lead in intensity. And so what you hope is if you can build some momentum around a big public policy issue like trillions of dollars of public spending for, you know, Democratic causes, that you can actually increase that Democrat intensity, that that ability to get them to turn out to vote. The reality in this case is there's early voting, as uh, Mayor Stoney pointed out, and and Democrats are uh, significantly ahead in early voting, and they typically would be. Uh, and so how much of that impact is going to be felt in the next, you know, next you know, few days of the, that's left in this election? Mm-hmm. Who knows? But you'd rather have something tangible. Everything helps, but something tangible would probably have been better. In a race that's tied here, Jeannie, will it make a difference for Terry McAuliffe? You know, I think it it could, sure it could have helped. I, I think the thing about this Virginia race is after it is over, we are all going to be reading in so much into it when, in fact, there are so many factors that can impact this. You know, one that we haven't talked about is not just what's happening in Congress, but the Supreme Court hearing this Texas abortion case Monday, 24 hours before people who vote in person go out to vote. That can also have an impact in terms of helping Terry McCall. And he's been talking a little bit about abortion on the stump. So I think there's a lot of factors here. Yes, it would have been far better had the Democrats been able to get this thing done. They haven't. I think numbers wise, things still look better for Terry McAuliffe than they do Glenn Youngkin. But of course, historically, Glenn Youngkin is, you know, obviously the uh, party out of power in Washington. He's got that advantage. I want to ask you both uh, about the oil hearing today on Capitol Hill with all the talk about 
frameworks and infrastructure, G20 and COP26, no one is talking about this. You can read about it on the terminal, of course, because we have everything there. But to see the, the captains of industry dragged up before a congressional hearing the first time since BP's Gulf of Mexico oil spill over a decade ago, that top oil industry executives have all appeared together before lawmakers in the nation's capital. Democrats were hoping to pin them down and make an historic moment, recalling the big tobacco hearings, right? Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney, a Democrat from New York, is chair of the House Oversight and Reform Committee. I want you to both listen to this, uh, this, this cut from this piece of sound from that hearing. And I'll ask you about it on the other side. Mr. Woods, uh, CEO of Exxon, do you agree that climate change is real? Yes. Thank you. Mr. Lawler, CEO of BP America, do you agree that climate change is caused by human activities? Yes. Mr. Wirth, CEO of Chevron, do you agree that burning fossil fuels is a significant cause of climate change? Chairwoman, uh, we've been clear on where we stand, uh, and we accept the kind scientific consensus that the use of uh, fossil fuels contributes to climate change. So that I'm taking as a yes. Yeah, we'll say that's a yes. And it wasn't all like that. There were some tense exchanges. But Jeannie, was that a moment that ends up in the history books, like the tobacco hearings? Maybe everyone's getting old around here, but I never thought I would ever hear the day when all of those answers from the captains of big oil would end up being yes. No, it's true. And I, I think that's what the committee is going for. And to a certain extent, it reminded me a little bit of the testimony or, or the sort of the comments, if you will, about Facebook recently, mm -hmm. that the public facing statements of these companies differ from what they're saying and doing behind the scenes. And, you know, the Congress, the committee really wants to get them on the record. I'm just not sure, however, what this in fact achieves, right? The, so you get them on the record saying this, but is it any surprise that these companies are going to put the interest of their shareholders over those other interests? I I'm not sure that's a surprise. And what I would like to hear a little bit more of, or what I would have liked to hear more of today out of this committee, was what they can do about it, how they can move forward and rewrite this ship. And, and I didn't hear as much of that today as I thought we might have. I think the Democrats, Rick, were hoping to to have some internal documents that showed, and they were, they were going back and forth on this. They played the Greenpeace video uh, trying to show that they were actively working to subvert this idea of climate change and the impact uh, on the on the climate. But sometimes it just comes down to moments, right? A slice of a hearing like that can resonate for years. Is that one of them? You know, I, I think it's more the, you know, barn doors closing after the horses have already gotten out. I mean, hmm. each and every one of these executives have known for a long time that they have to get right on climate. Uh, Exxon spends uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in developing new, you know, products that they see as uh, the next phase post uh, hydrocarbon uh, uh, power company. They, they all have done uh, advocacy for various environmental causes to try and uh, find common cause on the climate issue. So, so this isn't new, right? I mean, like we've been seeing the migration in their self-interest, right? Doesn't mean they've changed their policies, particularly internally. Doesn't mean they're mm -hmm. pumping less oil, mm -hmm. but, um, but they're not gonna miss an opportunity to side with climate uh, warriors 
in a public forum like this. So I'm not sure it actually educated anybody to something new. It's not like tobacco executives saying, oh, cigarettes aren't addictive, and then we yeah. find out that they are. Um, so I, I don't think this replicates that kind of drama. They did deny spreading disinformation on climate change, Jeannie. Uh, so I guess not everything has changed here. I don't know how significant you see that, but we should note that shares of ExxonMobil closed higher today and they are still moving higher in after hours trading as I guess uh, investors are celebrating uh, a, a higher dividend. But the, the denial of spreading disinformation on climate, is that something Democrats need to spend more time on or is this a one day event? I think they will spend more time on it. Um, you know, listen, there's a lot of evolution in terms of what we're hearing from these companies, and not just with the folks they brought before them today, but over time, these are companies that have been around a long time. Those are certainly evolving uh, public and, and private statements. But I do think the Democrats will spend more time on this. But again, I think the point here is what are we going to do about it as a nation? I don't think anybody can expect that these companies are going to have interests that surmount the interests of their shareholders. But what the federal government can do and what Congress can do is the big question to force them or to, you know, use a carrot or stick approach to move them towards more climate friendly commerce, if you will. And that's what I think they should be focusing most on their time of their time on, not on these gotcha moments, which I think play for the cameras. But in the end, I don't think they serve much from a policy perspective. Maloney says this is the congresswoman you just heard from from New York. She will issue subpoenas for documents requested by the committee and not furnished by the oil companies. These these internal documents. Rick, does anything come of that or have you already moved on then? You know, I, th- I think that it will be um, um, some noise in the system, some fodder, but it's going to be overtaken by the COP26 discussions of climate. And, 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 and frankly, it comes at an odd time when the Biden administration is out there maybe sucking up to the oil companies is too strong a word, but they're just starts drilling again. Yeah, they're desperate to try and get those gas prices down, yeah. uh, especially before a cold winter in the Northeast. And you know, it just seems like it's counter-programming to that, right? I mean, like, what an odd time to hold a hearing and beat up a bunch of executives. <laughs> when gas prices are, are hitting record highs going into the winter here, and the White House is begging for more supply. All right, Rick and Jeannie, we've got uh, just a little bit left here. I'd love to get your impressions on what happens. Tomorrow's Friday. We go into the weekend. Infrastructure vote, the BIF. Jeannie, do you think it happens before next week? Oh, Joe, I hate to make predictions on the future. Um, let me just say that, uh, no, I do not think it goes. And, and if it does go, there'll be egg on my face. I don't think it goes. Wow. So just no vote. Never mind. Fail. But it's not going to get to a vote is what you're saying. Uh, I, if Nancy Pelosi sticks to her word, she doesn't put things up that are going to fail. As far as we yeah. can count, this thing would fail if it was held today or tomorrow, barring some massive change. So maybe that will happen. But I, I don't see it. I know that that you see it happening at some point, Rick. The question is when. You know, look, I love all these deadlines, right? (laughs) So I think they're excellent because they're always wrong. Uh, I think (laughs) there's a chance that this uh, uh, the BIF gets voted on uh, by the House and put into law as soon as uh, Joe Biden gets back from uh, COP26. And so, so this time next week, maybe? Well, I, I think that it, it could happen right before he gets there or yeah. before he leaves. Uh, but the bottom line is, uh, I do think it's in that category. Uh, I think a little bit of the heat came off of it today. I, I think it's a slam dunk that it's going to get done. 
it's just a matter of whether or not he can take credit for it while he's still in um, while he's still in Scotland. That might be something. We'll see if it happens while he's there. Then he come back, right? Big signing ceremony, duck boat parade, and everyone's happy. Maybe not. That's when the progressives could really start screaming. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, thank you as always. We'll meet you back here, the Friday edition of Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.